I've seen a lot of, of bad storms, uh, but this is absolutely the worst. Which storm you talking about, Bubba? Take your pick. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the Pacifica Radio. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on KSO, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WTPA, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, KPSQ in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Because today, Desi Doyne, guess what it is? What can today? you guess? Can no. you guess? Today Tell me. it is official. Voting in the 2018 midterm elections, midterm general elections, has now officially begun. The first votes have been cast. While much of the political world, of course, is consumed with the uh, battle over the Supreme Court nomination. The trade wars of Donald Trump, the uh, his Twitter feed. We're going to try to get to as much of that as we can today. But in Minnesota, hello, AM 950. In Minnesota, the first votes of the 2018 midterm elections are now being cast. Election Day 2018, of course, is technically and officially November 6. But Minnesota law allows in-person voting to begin on Friday That's a full 46 days early before the November 6th election, making it the first battleground state to begin casting actual votes in the fight for control of Congress. And with it, the first real breaks that voters may finally be able to place onto our runaway national emergency, which we'll try to cover today as much as we can. Voters elsewhere Uh, We'll also soon begin voting as well. South Dakota also opened early voting on Friday, not to give them short shrift. Uh, Four more states follow in the next six days, uh, including uh, key states like New Jersey and Missouri. Hello, Missouri. California, Montana, Arizona are among seven others that will allow early voting in the uh, subsequent two weeks. 
So this thing is underway. But Minnesota in particular is important because there are four U.S. House seats considered to be competitive seats, two of which may be the Republicans' best chance to flip uh, an open Democratic seat from blue to red. Oh, it's on. Oh, it's on. And I know a lot of uh, Democrats love early voting. I am not so much of a fan. The, the best way to maximize the chance of your vote being counted as cast is to cast it on a hand-marked paper ballot at the polling place on Election Day. But, of course, if you can't wait, uh, or if you can't vote, I should say, on uh, on Tuesday, November 6th, due to work or concerns about long lines or school, uh, voting early is, of course, an option, presuming you do so on a hand-marked paper ballot. You can uh, also get an absentee ballot in many states and then bring that to the polling place for drop-off on Election Day if you're worried about the lines or maybe not being on the uh, on the rolls. But again, voting by hand-marked paper ballots on Election Day is still the best way to maximize the chances of your vote being counted and counted accurately and tabulated accurately. Uh, I will caution that you should check your registration with your state and or county multiple times between now and November 6th. If you're going to wait until November 6th and uh, it wouldn't hurt to print out proof of your registration with a date on it uh, and bring that proof to the polls to help avoid any surprises that you may encounter on Election Day. Oh, yeah. And I just want to say on Twitter, I have been seeing a lot of people over the last few weeks saying, oh, my gosh, I checked my registration last month. I checked it again today and I'm off the rolls. So, yes, checking multiple times apparently is necessary. We will discuss some of some many more of those complications, uh, no doubt, as we get closer to Election Day. But the voting has now officially begun. The first votes have been cast in the 2018 midterm elections. Unfortunately, down in Georgia, the entire state will once again be voting on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, at least uh, at the polling place, thanks to a ruling by a federal judge this past week. We will speak to one of the plaintiffs in that case in a little bit here today to understand the ruling, which in many ways, if, 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 if not the key way, is actually good news, I think, for election integrity advocates overall. Uh, Georgia is a great example of where voting absentee is a good idea because they have paper ballots, because you can. that's the only way you'll be able to vote on hand-marked paper ballots. But uh, we will speak with one of those plaintiffs in that case, Marilyn Marks, about all of that shortly. She may or may not feel uh, differently about that. We'll get her thoughts uh, in the meantime, as we warned was imminent on our previous broadcast, Duke Energy now says a dam has been breached at a plant in North Carolina. Coal ash may be flowing into the Cape Fear River, but that is hardly the only problem still ongoing right now in the Carolinas. No matter whether broadcast media have largely moved on or not, a new round of evacuations was ordered on Friday in South Carolina as the trillions of gallons of water dumped over the past week by Hurricane Florence meanders to the sea, raising the uh, river levels and threatening still more destruction. With the crisis now slowly moving to South Carolina, emergency officials on Friday ordered about 500 people to flee homes along the Lynch's River. 
The National Weather Service said the river was expected to reach record levels over the weekend. Officials downstream sounded dire alarms on Friday, pointing out the property destruction and environmental disasters left in Florence's wake. Georgetown County Administrator Sel Hemingway warned the area may see a flood like it has never seen before. And again, we're one week after landfall uh, was made by Hurricane Florence. In North Carolina, where about 100 people were evacuated by boat and air after the Cape Fear River breached a levee and flooded the town of Kelly on Thursday night, this uh, storm is continuing to wreak havoc. And uh, it's uh, a similar story to uh, places that were flooded back in 2016 in Hurricane Matthew. Some of those towns are once again being inundated. Two years ago, uh, AP talks about a story of, a, of the Presbyterian Church in Spring Lake that had to uh, rebuild after Hurricane Matthew. Uh, this year, water from the Little River broke the windows at that same church, left the pews a jumbled mess. Church member uh, Dennis DeLong said, My gut is turning up. I'm so sad just thinking about all the work that we put in. We put a lot of heart and soul into putting it back up. Well, yeah, but because the state's Republican legislature actually passed a law barring the use of a, uh, of a report on the threat of sea level rise and other climate change threats in North Carolina, people just keep rebuilding. They keep building and rebuilding in the same spots. And I guess the construction industry is delighted about that but nobody else should be including the taxpayers who are often on the hook here for what state legislators have been trying to hide to hide from the voters from the public that they've been lying about for all of these years uh if you didn't catch our previous broadcast with disaster expert and historian scott knowles i recommend you take some time to download it for free at bradblog.com on uh, on some of this. In any event, uh, South Carolina Governor uh, Henry McMaster estimated the damage from the flood in his state to be over $1 billion. I believe he's lowballing that estimate, frankly. He says the flooding will be the worst disaster in the state's modern history. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper said he knows the damage uh, in his state is going to add up to billions, perhaps tens of billions, but said with the effects uh, on of the storm still ongoing a week later, there is no way to make a more accurate estimate. As far as, uh, you know, some of the new ongoing news out of this, as we, yes, had warned on our previous broadcast, while much of the world is no longer paying attention to the Carolinas, Duke Energy... Uh, had issued a level one alert on Thursday that a toxic coal ash holding pond at one of their uh, retired coal-fired power plants in North Carolina was on the brink of an imminent collapse due to high floodwaters. Well, guess what has now happened? Duke Energy said on Friday that a dam containing a large lake at a power plant in Wilmington has now been breached by floodwaters from Florence, and it is possible, possible, they say at this hour, that coal ash from an adjacent dump is now flowing into the Cape Fear River. A Duke spokesperson said uh, that floodwaters continue to overtop an earthen dike at the north side of Sutton Lake. 
uh, which is a reservoir for the uh, Sutton Power Station. That water has caused several breaches in the dam uh, on part of the lake, which is uh, now flowing back into the river. The floodwaters also overtopped a steel retaining wall containing one of three coal ash dumps lining the lake shore. The spokesperson for Duke Energy described the incident as, quote, a developing situation and said the company can't rule out that coal ash might be escaping and flowing into the river, which, to my mind, if it's coming from Duke Energy, is as good as them saying, yes, it is escaping and flowing into the river. You can bank on that. They have paid millions of dollars in violations of the Clean Water Act for exactly this type of toxic coal ash spill uh, gray material that the company called uh, lightweight uh, coal combustion byproducts could be seen on Friday floating on top of that lake the ash that is left over when coal is burning to generate electricity uh, coal ash it contains uh, an array of toxic components like mercury and lead and arsenic and other toxic heavy metals, or as Donald Trump calls it, clean coal, beautiful, clean coal. Yeah. The uh, inundated basin at the plant contains 400,000 cubic yards of that beautiful, clean coal ash, that beautiful, toxic coal ash. Floodwaters at the site were continuing to rise on Friday, uh, where uh, the area had received almost three feet of water, with the Cape, Rear, uh, Cape Fear River still expected to crest uh, over, uh, over the weekend. Security personnel for Duke was blocking access to the lake, uh, even to the media. Duke denied a request for an Associated Press reporter at the scene on Friday to pass the barricade claiming that the situation at the lake, quote, continues to change and is not safe. Uh, aerial photos, however, are showing uh, a wide breach in the earthen dam and the affected ash dump largely uh, now underwater. The current breach at the Wilmington site is separate from another rupture at a nearby coal ash uh, landfill reported at the site last week. In 2014, of course, as we noted uh, yesterday, a, a drainage pipe collapsed under one of these pits and triggered a massive spill that coated 70 miles of the Dan River in gray sludge. The utility agreed to plead guilty to nine clean water violations and pay $102 million in fines and restitution for illegally discharging pollution from uh, ash dumps at five different North Carolina power plants. So it plans to close all of its ash dumps by 2029 in, you know, more than 10 years. But, you know, clean coal, beautiful, clean coal at the uh, separate Duke plant near Goldsboro. Three, three old coal ash dumps capped with soil were underwater on Thursday near the Noose River, which is also flooded. And the Waterkeeper, Waterkeeper Alliance and Environmental Group uh, visited some of those uh, dumps, took photographs and collected samples of gray sludge and water they say is washing into the floodwater. So this could be going on for quite a while. The damage will be revealing itself, I guess, over the uh, next several days, weeks, maybe even months. Hurricane season, of course, is anything but over. 
On Friday, the National Hurricane Center said it was monitoring four different areas in the Atlantic for uh, new tropical weather threats. One is just off the coast of the Carolinas with a chance of drifting toward the coast. Florence is now blamed for at least 42 deaths in the Carolinas and Virginia's and, and in Virginia. Other potential problems, uh, environmental problems, remain, including uh, human waste, hog waste, other animal waste, mixing in with floodwaters in the Carolinas. More than a 1,000 roads from major highways to neighborhood lanes are still closed in the Carolinas, officials said. Uh, Some of them have been washed out entirely. So, yeah, I know folks have uh, moved on, but uh, many folks in the Carolinas have certainly not, and they won't for quite some time. Meanwhile, the uh, uh, speaking of pig poop, uh, there was a headline from uh, CNN on Thursday regarding the way that Trump was dealing with the fight over the nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court and the allegations of sexual assault made against him by Palo Alto University professor Christine Blasey Ford. CNN's uh, headline was, uh, the president is bragging about positive coverage for his tactful approach to Kavanaugh's accuser. It's motivated him to keep it up. Well, it didn't motivate him to keep it up for much, uh, for very long. Uh, He held on for several days, not attacking his accuser in any way, so to speak. But by Friday, apparently he could stand it no more. Hey, he almost made it a week. In a series of tweets, Trump suggested that Kavanaugh was, quote, under assault from the, quote, radical left wing politicians. Minutes later, he claimed that uh, Blasey Ford would have filed charges as a teenager if the alleged assault was, quote, as bad as she says. So he claimed, quote, radical left wing politicians don't want to know the answers. (laughs) This from the guy who refuses to ask the FBI to investigate and find out the answers. He added, quote, facts don't matter to Democrats. Uh, He then belittled uh, the accusations from Dr. Ford saying, quote, I have no doubt that if the attack on Dr. Ford was as bad as she says, charges would have been filed immediately with local law enforcement authorities by either her or her loving parents, adding, uh, why didn't someone call the FBI 36 years ago? Well, yeah, they don't uh, usually call local officials or the FBI in these sorts of cases, and especially when you're talking about a 15-year-old, 15-year-old kids at a party where they're drinking alcohol which would be illegal at that age. No, they don't call the police. And of course, they don't call the FBI. In any event, the negotiations continue at this hour uh, between Ford and uh, her attorney and the uh, U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, and the entire situation continues to change very quickly. So for now, Dr. Ford may or may not be testifying in the coming weeks before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee and the National emergency under Donald Trump and his Republican parties continues in its wake. But we are just weeks away from being able to do at least something about it, though that will depend if voters can actually vote and have their votes counted as cast. That will be no easy feat in states like Georgia. A quick break, and we will come back to discuss just some of the reasons why that will yet again be so hard for voters in the Peach State. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. (laughs) 
Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Georgia. Georgia. Oh, yeah. Georgia is on my mind yet again. It's been happening a lot over the past several months, past several years, I should say. And now the state of Georgia said last week that it will continue to distribute inaccurate voter registration forms, which falsely say that registrants are required to enclose documentary proof of residence. And they're going to continue uh, distributing those inaccurate forms until next year at the earliest, according to Atlanta's public radio affiliate WABE. On the incorrect form, first-time registrants are instructed to enclose a copy of one of the following, and then it lists a copy of a current and valid photo ID, your current utility bill, bank statement, government check, paycheck, etc. However, according to the ACLU of Georgia, this is not required. For first time registrants, Sean Young, the legal director of the ACLU of Georgia, told WABE that by putting in this false requirement, you're actually preventing people from registering to vote. Well, that may be a feature, not a bug. Young said that Georgia has been using the inaccurate forms for at least a decade. Over the past eight years of that decade, the state's election chief has been Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp. And in the two years before that, it was Secretary of State Karen Handel, who reportedly defeated Democrat John Ossoff for a special U.S. House election last year, despite Ossoff leading in the polls and a computer tabulator failure on election night that resulted in Handel uh, uh leading just after the computer tabulators came back online. Recounts of most of the votes, of course, were not possible thanks to Georgia's 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that they force voters to use on Election Day. Though Ossoff reportedly easily defeated Handel in the uh, hand-marked paper ballot absentee votes that came in. More on that in a moment. As to the inaccurate registration forms that are being circulated around Georgia, no, it is not required for voters to send in that residency information in order to register to vote in Georgia for the first time. First-time voters can instead bring proof of residency with them to the polling place rather than include it with their registration. A new form that corrects that has been posted online recently by the Georgia Secretary of State in response to a complaint from the ACLU. And it notes that uh, you can submit proof of residence either with that form or when you vote for the first time. That's what the form should say, because that is correct. That is the law. And that is not misleading like the paper versions that are circulating around the state of Georgia right now for years According to WABE, however, staff in the office of Secretary of State Brian Kemp said it, quote, wouldn't get a delivery of the revised forms until at least the beginning of next year. That's convenient and especially convenient for Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp. 
I will explain why after this break as we are joined by Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance on her lawsuit to force the state of Georgia to move from 100% unverifiable voting to hand-marked paper ballots in November. A federal judge has finally rung in on the matter. That story is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at Brad bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. That's a night that the lights went out in Georgia. Oh, brother. Please, please don't let the lights go out in Georgia on November 6th. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. If that happens, nobody will be able to vote across the state of Georgia. Logan Lamb, a cybersecurity sleuth, uh, thought that he was conducting an innocuous Google search to pull up information on Georgia's centralized voting system for conducting elections way back in 2016, as Ellen Nakashima of The Washington Post reported last week. He was taken aback, however, when the query turned up a file with a list of voters and then alarmed when a subsequent simple data poll ended up retrieving the birth dates, driver's license numbers, and partial social security numbers of more than 6 million voters in the state, as well as county election supervisors' passwords for the voting systems and tabulators, the 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems used across the entire state of Georgia on Election Day. He also discovered the server had a software flaw that an attacker could exploit to take control of the machines. The unsecured server the Lamb exposed back in August of 2016 is part of an election system, the only one in the country that is centrally run by the state and relies entirely upon computerized touchscreen voting systems for voters on Election Day. That system is now at the heart of a legal and political battle with national security implications, Washington Post reports. On one side are activists who have sued the state to switch to paper ballots in the November midterm elections to guard against the potential threat of Russian hacking or other foreign interference. Only foreign interference, Miss Nakashima? On the other side is Secretary of State Brian Kemp, who has declared the electronic system secure and contends that moving to paper ballots with less than two months to Election Day would spawn chaos and undermine confidence among Georgia's 6.8 million voters. When Georgia voters cast their ballots this fall, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported on Friday... Some will wonder whether the state's outdated touchscreen voting systems are safe and accurate. Election officials say voters have nothing to fear, but election integrity advocates say there is good reason to worry. And of the, as of this week, so does a federal U.S. District Court judge in Georgia who found a, quote, mounting tide of evidence 
that the state's digital voting system is at risk. Georgia, along with Maryland, was the first state in the nation to move to electronic voting systems back in 2002 when they were touted as a superior technology in the wake of alleged problems counting Florida's punch card ballots back during the 2000 presidential election. And now Georgia is one of the last in the country to continue to rely on those systems. Just four other states, Delaware, Louisiana, New Jersey, and South Carolina, use electronic voting machines statewide with no verifiable paper record at all. That's for all voters on Election Day. But many states still use them, uh, at least in parts of their states, all across the country. And all states use computers to tabulate results almost entirely without checking any of those votes to assure that the computers counted them correctly. Election officials, according to the uh, journal Constitution, acknowledge that Georgia's voting system should be phased out and replaced with paper ballots, but they remain certain that the state's 27,000 direct recording electronic voting machines, those are the 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems, I have been yelling and screaming about for so many years that those systems will work well for one more election at least. Secretary of State Brian Kemp said on Monday, quote, I'm very confident of where we are in the Secretary of State's office and where the counties are to get ready to vote on our secure system, as he described it. And I guess he, uh, well, I guess he should know, and we should simply trust Kemp on all of that, because as the state's top election official, uh, it turns out he is also running for governor. He is the Trump-endorsed Republican nominee to become the state's next governor in his race against Democrat Stacey Abrams, who could become the nation's first African-American female governor. So... I see no reason why we should uh, question Mr. Kemp on that, since he's also overseeing his own election. Why worry? Why worry about being able to verify the results? Instead, we should, as the AJC uh, article asks, simply trust the unverifiable systems and the Secretary of State, who has a huge conflict of interest in overseeing this year's crucial midterm elections. Voters can have confidence in our system. Their votes will be counted accurately. That was Kathy Cox, a Democrat who oversaw Georgia's transition to electronic voting systems back when she was Secretary of State from 1999 to 2007. She said, I have great confidence in the security layers that we have in place for storing the equipment, for testing it, and the checks and balances at the end of every election day that have proven to work over the last 16 years. Cox, after overseeing the state's move to 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen systems in 2002, the same ones, the very same ones that are still in use today in the Peach State, she was once featured on Diebold's sales brochure with her photograph and praises sung for those systems. That even while she was serving as Secretary of State at the time. So concerns about these systems... Uh, are not necessarily, nor should they necessarily, be a partisan issue. Nonetheless, while Kemp says everything is secure and voters should simply trust him on that, his challenger for the governor's race is not quite as confident 
Democrat Stacey Abrams is encouraging voters to vote by mail on hand-marked paper ballots, a message she has spread on Facebook and on Twitter. She says, quote, I believe in trust but verify, so we have to use paper ballots that come with absentee balloting if we want to make sure all our votes are going to get counted. That was last, uh, last month during a town hall meeting. This past week is part of a lawsuit filed by a multipartisan group of plaintiffs seeking to force the state of Georgia to convert to the paper ballots uh, that are used for the absentee voting systems across the entire state and have been for years in all the counties uh, in Georgia. That lawsuit uh, had a ruling. And, uh, well, U.S. District Judge Amy Totenberg agreed that the system is not secure She said election officials have not dealt with security vulnerabilities that could undermine voters' trust in elections. However, she ruled against the motion to convert the state to paper ballots immediately, citing uh, the potential for voter confusion and staffing shortages and the chaos that defendants in this case, uh, Brian, Brian Kemp, have claimed would occur if the switch was made before November 6th. Judge Totenberg's ruling, however, while a short-term loss for plaintiffs was seen as a, uh, quote, huge ruling for those challenging similar systems in other states like South Carolina. Joining us to explain the ruling and why it should be seen as an overall win, I think, for election integrity is one of the plaintiffs who has joined us many times on this show as this case has continued and still continues to this day to move forward. Marilyn Mark, she's a longtime expert advocate for free and fair elections as executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance, one of the plaintiffs in the Georgia case, and a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization committed to fair elections and government transparency. Marilyn Marks, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you so much, Brad. I really appreciate your having me, and I appreciate your staying on top of Georgia for so long. Well, uh, someone's got to, and I know you have been doing this so now for a long time. Uh, let's get to uh, U.S. District Judge Totenberg's ruling in this motion to dump the uh, voting systems and move to paper ballots, an argument that she rejected. She argued in her ruling that uh, although plaintiffs have demonstrated, quote, the threat of real harms to their constitutional interests, she nonetheless worried about the massive scrambling required, uh, as she said, for a last minute change to paper ballots. And she also chastised the state, saying they've been too slow to respond to serious vulnerabilities in their voting system. And then she subsequently allowed a further delay in changing from that system, uh, even though saying further delay, quote, is not tolerable. Am I reading all of that correctly, Marilyn? Uh, you are indeed. And I, I think that the defendants put the judge in a very difficult place because they essentially, Brad, threatened that they would sabotage the election. They didn't really use those words, but they said, look, we're, we're going to shut down early voting locations in Fulton County. Fulton County has 21 early voting locations. Mm-hmm. They said, we'll go down to three. In their briefing, wow. they actually said they would go down to one. Um, in their... Um, they also said they may close uh, election day polling places if she were to require them to go 
to a paper ballot. Now, Fulton County... Ca- there was absolutely no reason for that, of course. Excuse me, Brad, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say Fulton County, of course, is is uh, is Atlanta. What was the reason? Right. Why would they have to shut down polling places simply because they moved to the same paper ballots that they mail out to uh, absentee voters? Why would that affect the number of polling places, in, according to them? Totally ridiculous. The idea would be that somehow... It would be so difficult for voters to understand how to take the cap off the pen. I mean, they didn't literally say this, of course, but (laughs) it would be so confusing to voters to know how to mark a paper ballot that, you know, we would need all these extra workers and um, that there would just be so much confusion as far as issuing a paper ballot instead of the very complex uh, process that's involved in issuing the voter access cards and explaining to people how to, how to work on a touchscreen machine, mm-hmm. which, of course, is far more complex than, than issuing a paper ballot. But they, that was their theory, that nobody's voted a paper ballot. They don't know what they look like. The, the poll workers would have great difficulty making this conversion. And then their excuse for early voting was that they would have to have so many different types of ballots available at the early voting locations that they just couldn't handle this paperwork just couldn't handle ballot-on-demand printers, which, are, which they already have, mm-hmm. um, and therefore they, um, they would just be required to shut down these locations. And, and One a, of the interest- a, a, a ballot-on-demand uh, printer, just to clarify, that's the, that's the type of printer that can print out a ballot for, uh, for any uh, precinct, essentially, any right. uh, a district right. that, that would be needed by any voter who comes in to vote at an early voting location. Um, and and the, the county already has quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, um, unfortunately, you know, they're, they're, there's just not a real valid excuse. When you look at Georgia's 159 counties, mm-hmm. only 14 of them have more than four vote centers. Um, 125 of them don't even have uh, an early vote center other than right there in the election office where they already have the inventory of paper ballots Mm. for mailing ballots and provisional ballots. And so for 125 counties, there would have really been no no significant change. There was no keeping up with additional inventory of paper. And so the vast majority of Georgia's voters are going to vote on what the judge has basically said is going to be an unconstitutional system just because of the threats of Fulton County and some of the other large counties. Well, that's what I want to get to, because I, I and, and, and there are some very good uh, portions of this ruling that I think will be helpful Absolutely. in this case and very in powerful. other cases. We'll talk about that in a moment. Yes. But if I'm reading it correctly, it seemed that she was clearly troubled by these systems and by the you know the lack of efforts by election officials for years now to do anything about these wholly unsecure systems and yet she allowed them to be used again so there's sort of a, a a conflict from this uh, from this judge is that how you also read her her ruling here well in, in fact that's exactly what she acknowledged um, she she said I am in a catch-22 mm-hmm um, and because on one hand, she recognizes that, um, you know, it's an unconstitutional system mm-hmm. that to have this unverifiable, unreliable system. 
on the other hand, she recognizes that she could be impairing um, people's constitutional rights to vote if, in fact, the defendant's um, predictions, declarations, came true. That, you know, they said there will be long lines, people will be confused, they won't vote, they'll, they will get frustrated, they'll leave, you know, our, our, our poll workers can't handle it. So the, the court then is caught um, in, right in the middle of, of weighing these two constitutional rights and, you know, which, which, which is she going to, um, uh, which is she going to favor? And I can understand why the court, you know, has to listen to the very people who are going to conduct the election mm-hmm. as they tell her they cannot do it. And, and that's so what evidence did they bring in? I understand that, you know, she's got to weigh both sides. You guys brought in actual evidence. And and as I understand, even experts who argued, no, it doesn't take any longer to vote on paper ballots. In fact, if you have paper right. ballots... You can, as many people as they want, uh, can vote at the same time. It's not limited by the number of voting machines. Uh, And I want to talk about some of the evidence you brought in in a second, but did they bring in any evidence to support their argument that there would be chaos, longer lines, etc.? Not really. What they did is they brought in uh, four or five Georgia election officials who are in charge of running the larger counties in Georgia. And they all claimed, oh, we don't have time and we can't find, we wouldn't be able to find ballots and we don't have enough scanners and, um, you know, our people would be confused and we can't, we can't, we can't. And then, of course, we had no Georgia officials to say, oh, yes, we can. Mm. Now, we did have one declaration that was in the record, um, but, um, you know, we had numerous um election officials uh, from outside of Georgia who have done it, who have gone through it, mm-hmm. and have said, you know, it's very doable. This is very, except, you know, we didn't have those people from Georgia, and it was the very people who have to conduct the election who were complaining that they could not do it. And, and that was their evidence, unfortunately, and that was persuasive. And yet you guys brought in, uh, you guys meaning the plaintiffs, actually brought in, for example, University of Michigan computer scientist uh, uh, Professor Alex Halderman uh, to demonstrate how easily these machines can be flipped, uh, the results can right. be flipped without right. possibility of detection. Tell me about that demonstration and how it was received yeah. in the courtroom. Um, yes, um, y- you know, it was an abbreviated demonstration, but... Um, you know, I think that the judge came into the courtroom already well understanding that this was possible. Uh, she, had, she had really read the, um, all of the scientific work, mm-hmm. the, the experts' opinions. And so, you know, I think what she saw um, from Professor Haldeman merely confirmed what she was already well aware of from all of the reading that she had done. Um, and then um, we called Professor DeMillo to the stand, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, is from Georgia Tech. He is himself a Georgia voter, very familiar with um, the Georgia system. And um, he talked about the weight of the National Academy of Sciences that had just, you know, issued the previous Thursday a report saying every effort must be taken to have 2018 elections conducted on paper. 
And um, so the court was already, you know, very well aware of the science. And mm-hmm. she was quite aware of the, the lack of any effort and lack of any science and lack of any expert testimony put on by the defendant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that her decision didn't rest on the science there at the, you know, at the very last, because she, she well accepted the science. There, um, it was it was this whole threat of chaos. There are a couple of key things that the court did decide in your favor, namely on whether yes. your group has the federal constitutional standing to bring a challenge at all. Uh, we, yes. uh, in other words, the you know the the constitutional issues sufficient to make a federal case out of this, so to speak, uh, and whether, as the defendants argued, state law had required them to use these one hundred percent unverifiable touchscreen uh, systems. Let's let me hit to both of those briefly. What did she determine as far as constitutional standing here? And I'm wondering how this will affect uh, both your ongoing case and cases elsewhere. And did did the defendants actually argue that the state law required them to use these unverifiable systems? <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the important thing here uh, first, and, and that is, yes, she said that we are likely to prevail on the merits mm-hmm. as we move forward in this case, and our claims are, you know, related uh, to, to constitutional claims. And that is what the scholars, the lawyers, the election uh, advocates across the country are recognizing as such a very important um, finding and ruling that she has made here is that, yes, it, we are likely to prevail in our argument that this is an unconstitutional system when the voters cannot um, rely mm-hmm. on a, an auditable and verifiable system. So that is what's very important when she said, yes, we're going to prevail on that argument. Did, this, did the uh, state claim that the state law forced them to DREs, they certainly did, and she blew that apart, as we have been saying for a year. Now, one other thing, Brad, that Mm -hmm. you may not be aware of that we brought out in court, the state not only had been saying that it was required by state law, but they had threatened the counties who began Mm -hmm. to recognize it wasn't required by state law and that the counties, local authorities, have the ability Mm -hmm. on their own to go to paper ballots, the Secretary of State has been threatening them, telling them, no, you do not have that authority. They even told the press that they would punish counties wow. that went to paper ballots. Yes. Well, see, that's that's very interesting because, you know, I mentioned uh, from that report from uh, Washington Post where uh, Ellen Nakashima said on one side are activists who have sued the state to switch to paper ballots. Uh, to guard against the potential threat of Russian hacking or other foreign influence. Uh, well, uh, Russian and uh, foreign interference is hardly the only threat to an election in Georgia. Did your a lawsuit only focus on foreign manipulation? Meanwhile, you've got this secretary of state who is threatening counties, who is making claims that can't be backed up, who is now overseeing his own election, uh, for governor in Georgia, he has and uh, other you know election officials and and folks who run the machines they have direct access to these systems to flip election results. Was that a concern of the judges in this case? You know, I can't I can't 
say that she, what, what her concerns were specifically on that, but I think the judge understood, as we all do, that, um, you know, uh, the intent to conduct election malfeasance is not limited. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it could be, it could be Trump's 400-pound guy in New Jersey, and it could be, uh, it, it could be somebody right in the Secretary of State's office, mm-hmm. or uh, who knows where. Um, but certainly, this country has a history of fraud occurring in elections, going back to the founding of our country. Mm-hmm. So um, there's nothing that w- that would make us believe that conducting elections on electronics, um, you know, somehow made made all of the citizens of Georgia pure of heart. <laughs> well, so, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I've got uh, a couple of questions about where we go from here and moving ahead. Okay. But, you know, even Kemp himself has claimed that he'd like to replace these systems, but he's pushed for uh, a system that is yet another touchscreen type system that prints out uh, barcoded ballot summary cards. <laughs> instead of actual hand-marked paper ballot systems. So I guess, do you have a sense uh, from this case and from the uh, court testimony, uh, what is the fear here, as, as far as you can tell in Georgia, about allowing hand-marked paper ballots that we can actually know represent the intent of the voters? Many people, I suspect, listening here probably think this is, you know, a nefarious intent from Brian Kemp, and I don't know if you would agree with that or not. What's the sense that you get? Why are they so opposed to what seems like a common sense uh, change here? You know, um, there is no there is no rationale, there is no logic that would um, that that would account for his opposition. I will tell you what they've tried to do quite a lot to confuse the average voter. Every time we say hand-marked paper ballot, mm-hmm. what they turn around to say, and they've even said it to the courts, Brad, mm-hmm. oh, they're talking about hand counting. To hand, to hand count the election would take weeks. They want to go back to the Stone Ages. And so that's what the voters hear. So they're conf- Obviously, they're you conf- well know that... That's not what we were looking for. Well, they're, they're confusing hand-counting paper ballots with hand-marked right. paper ballots. That's right. And, you know, they are, they are making it sound like it would be a nightmare. Um, you know, they, they talk about voting with pencil and, you know, having the old-fashioned kind of pencil uh, marks being erased and that sort mm. of thing. Obviously, we have none of that in mind. Um, but they have purposely tried to scare uh, average voters away from it by pretending that it is um, a. In, in, in uh, former Secretary Kathy Cox mm-hmm. tried to explain, tried to say on the witness stand that oh, nothing's more fraudulent, uh, more opportunities for fraud than old paper ballots. You know, she's yeah. just absolutely wrong. But that's that's what they promoted. And and so under- Brad, may I- yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, may I tell you one one thing from the um, uh, from the hearing sure. that I later thought I thought, man, I'm glad Brad wasn't in the room. <laughs> he would have his head would have exploded. <laughs> um, so one one thing that happened on the witness stand is when Michael Barnes, who was you know right under Merle King at KSU and then is now in charge of the voting system at the secretary's office, uh-huh. what we learned that this part wasn't too surprising um, that. After Logan Lamb got into the system, 
they did no analysis, no forensic review, no type of review at all to see what had happened during those many, many months where any bad guy in, in Georgia, the nation, the world, could have gotten into the system. They didn't bother to look. Not, you know, yeah. not one thing. One, but worse, yeah. they had not even bothered to read all of Logan Lamb's affidavits as to what he saw, the files he looked at, the files he downloaded, what he could have done. Michael Barnes, who runs the voting system, yep. had not even bothered to read Logan Lamb's and uh, and and Logan Lamb discovered uh, these the you know pretty much the entire system just sitting there for anybody to download anybody to affect and it was months before you know after he reported it and before they finally removed it in fact that material may well have been sitting there for years as far as we know you're right my head might explode uh, thankfully I've only got a minute or two here very quickly Marilyn uh, Stacey Abrams oh and let me underscore uh, again so Kathy Cox is a Democrat. You, I should say, Marilyn Marks, are a Republican. So this is not a, uh, a right-left issue, or at least it shouldn't be. Uh, but the Democrat uh, 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 gubernatorial uh, candidate here, Stacey Abrams, uh, is encouraging people to vote by mail in Georgia. Um, at this point, just weeks out from the election, is that the best way for voters to get their votes uh, counted in the state of Georgia, at least? You know, it might be. Ask me again in a couple of weeks, Brad. I'm hopeful <laughs> that maybe there can be some other uh, measures taken. But Georgia has a terrible history of rejecting mail ballots. Uh, they are the eighth worst in the nation. There is no voter protection. In you know, any partisan can reject a ballot signature without any real test. And you know, when when Stacey Abrams is out there saying, "Look, use a paper ballot." so that your vote can be verified, so that it is verifiable. I'm sorry, in Georgia, there are no verification processes. You know, not un, un, not mm-hmm. right now, all they do with a paper ballot is they treat it just like an electronic ballot. Uh, recounts um, are all done just with the memory card um, same, or the same machine. They don't mm-hmm. do any hand counts. And um, mm-hmm. so while it is better than nothing, is better than the DRE. It's not much better right now. It needs vast improvement, and um, so um, it's it's okay. Uh, it's not even okay. Better than what we've got, but I'm not sure that now is the time to cast a quick mail ballot. Mm. What we are hoping for is that some of the counties will will be able to take some additional measures, put in some additional controls, and um, you know. We're we're hopeful we can still make some improvements for November, but um, but right now Georgia has an unverifiable system. It absolutely infuriates me that voters are put into this kind of a situation where you've got a the unverifiable uh, touchscreen voting on one side, and the possibility that your ballots can be easily tossed out uh, on the absentee ballot side without notice to the voters. What they are doing to voters in the state of Georgia. Uh, is or at least should be a crime, uh, and and yeah, you're right. See, my head is exploding because this is something we have known about for so many years, and it makes me so goddamn furious. But at the same time, I am 
so goddamn thankful, Marilyn Marks, that you and others like you are out there uh, fighting like hell to change this at some point. I know that uh, you guys are figuring out what to do as plaintiffs, how to proceed right. now in we this are. case. Uh, so we'll have to pick that up another day as this uh, as this case and this good fight uh, moves forward. Marilyn Marks, uh, folks can find your work at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. Uh, right. And on the Twitters, what's the best place to find you on the Twitters yes, these days? You know what? Um, they'll, they'll find me um, most active at uh, Marilyn R. Marks 1, the numeral 1. Marilyn R. Marks 1 is where I'm the most active. And, Brad, I want to thank you for your motivating us. Every time we talk, it gives us new energy for the next round. Uh. So thank you for that. God love you. Keep up the good fight uh, and for advancing this. Uh, keep Continue to advance it, and we will continue to cover it and uh, and spur you on further. Thank you, Marilyn Marks. Uh, greatly hey, appreciate thank it. Thank you, Brad. You bet. Uh, I got to tell you, this makes me so furious. <laughs> yes, this, I can tell. Yeah, this is not radio theatrics. This is actual fury. Uh, for all of these years, for so long, this is what we have been warning about. And I'll tell you what, if Stacey Abrams ends up losing by 10 votes uh, on November 6th, or you know what, if Brian Kemp ends up losing by 10 folks on uh, votes on November 6th, I am still going to be furious because this is not how we ought to be running a representative democracy in this country. Enough. All right. Enough of today's broadcast. I got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and of course to Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of this program or any others going back years, you can download them for free at bradblog.com. You can find and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters and hopefully share this show and others like it. I am simply the Brad Blog on Facebook and Twitters. You can drop me email as well. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And my thanks to those of you who have helped us continue this fight for so long for your democracy by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You're the ones who help uh, keep us going, not the corporations, not the political parties, but you, and we really need your help to continue. That's bradblog.com slash donate. All right, that's it. I'm getting out of here before my head explodes again. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.